Welcome to Oak Creek Christian Center's podcast. Our message today was recently recorded from our Sunday morning worship service. Stay tuned after the message for more information about Oak Creek Christian Center. And now, lead pastor, Kelly DeFore. Well, family life is the bullseye of our existence. You guys ever notice that? We all come from family. We may not like the family we came from. We still might not like our family. Uh, We might love our family, but we have to understand that family is the bullseye of our existence. It's not the practice of anything. It is the playing field. It is where life happens. And family is where our greatest joys are experienced. But many of you know that family is also where our greatest sorrows have been experienced. And it's sad but true that most of us know firsthand that if life is not working at home... It's not working anywhere. It's not just if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. We just know that if family life is not going good, a lot of our life is challenged by it. Maybe you've experienced that before. Something's wrong at home, and it's hard for you to perform well at work because your mind is always back on what's going on. Maybe you feel tension in your relationship between you and your spouse, and it impacts the way that you do work because your mind is thinking about that. All of us know that family and trouble in family leaks into every area of our life. And so today we're going to kick off a new series. If you're looking for home improvements, we want to be a part of helping make that possible for you as we talk about home words, words that will transform your home. And this isn't just for people who have kids at home. So don't think this is one of those family talks and it doesn't really apply to me because home words is about anybody who lives in a home. I think all of us live in some kind of a home. All of us have some kind of relationships either through marriage directly right now, kids, grandkids, or extended family. All of us have family members that we have to deal with or that we get to have joyful times with. All of us experience that. So maybe for you it's your marriage today where you kind of feel some tension that's consuming your mind. Maybe you feel that emotional distance between you and your spouse. Or maybe it's poor communication or you just feel neglected in your relationship. Maybe that's what you're struggling with today. Or maybe for you it's your kids that you're concerned about. They're rebellious or their attitude stinks or or, or maybe they're, they're not growing up to be responsible young adults or even older adults, and you still worry about your kids even though they've left your home. And so maybe that's something you're concerned about. Or maybe for others, it's, it's your family has become fractured, either through divorce or some kind of, uh, of death that's really just wreaked havoc in your home life, and you still feel that. Or maybe you felt that personally with a loved one very close to you that has, has died, and that's just kind of upset the home life. Or maybe for others, the problem isn't necessarily directly inside the home, but it's outside the home. It's with the extended family. It's with the in-laws. Uh, maybe that's a tension you feel around holidays or times that you gather together, and you, you, you struggle to have those moments because you know how broken those relationships really are. Or maybe you're not living in disaster mode right now, but you are living in that life where you just feel the daily wear and tear of being a family. Where just over time, that, the, the small erosions that happen, small wear and tear that actually will lead to a very significant blowout if we're not paying attention to it. So over the next several weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at words. First of all, we're going to look at some healing words that will help us to, to overcome the pain of the past and look to the future with, with greater hope. Then we're going to look at some building words that will replace bad habits that we've established as 
families, because we all know we've let bad habits into our homes. We're going to take a look at those and replace those with healing and building words, and then we're going to end it with one final series, a transforming word, the one word that will bring all of this together and make it all work. It's kind of the glue that brings it all together. So I hope you join us over the long haul. We're going to be on this for several weeks, talking about these words that we all need to bring healing and strength to our family. And today we're going to kick off with the very first word, and this word actually isn't a word that brings change. It's not a word that actually brings immediate change, but it's the one that ushers in the way for change to happen in your family. It's the one word that if we will really truly look at this word and bring it into our home, bring it into our lives, it will prepare the way for all the transformation God wants to do. And that word is hope. It's hope. If there's anything our families need today, it is hope. And maybe you feel that today. You're kind of going, you know what, Kelly? I don't even like talking about families today because my family is hopeless. This is why we need to talk about and start right here. We need to start with hope. If you lose hope, you lose everything. And, and the truth is there are far too many families who have lost their hope. They're, they're not seeking transformation right now. They're actually just seeking survival. They're, they're not believing God for a better tomorrow at home. They're just believing God there better be a tomorrow. I mean, that's just the kind of the way that maybe you feel in your family life right now. And maybe this morning you're, you're extremely discouraged about the needs that you see in your family. And this morning, my prayer and leading up to this morning, my prayer has been that hope would rise in your heart. That God would begin to let that hope take root in your heart. Because God loves you and your family more than you do. And he is working in bringing lasting joy and transformation into your home. But it's got to start with hope. God wants to do a miracle in your family. But here's the thing I know to be true. That miracle needs to start in you. That that hope of what God wants to do in your family, in your relationships, and the people you care about, that's got to start in you. Because the truth is, everybody's talking about family. You can see it on social media, people who kind of throw their family under the bus publicly, which is horrifically terrible that they're doing that. But you see it on Facebook. You, you hear it in conversations at work when people start talking about family. You, you hear some of the conversation around that. Or maybe it's in your neighborhood. You can't help but hear the families around you because they seem to talk loudly to each other in their homes and it bleeds out into the streets of your neighborhood. Everybody's talking about it. But here's the problem. A lot of people and a lot of the words they're using to express their family are hopeless words. And the truth is, those words that we speak come from our heart. That's what Jesus said, that from the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Which tells me there's a lot of people in our community, a lot of people maybe even in our church, that when it comes to your families, you feel a sense of hopelessness. And that gets expressed to the words that you say and how sad, especially for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, who believe that with God all things are possible, that, that God works all things together for the good of those that love Him. How sad and, and desperate for us as Christians to feel that way. But here's the truth. The family problems that we see in our culture are mirrored within our Christian faith as well. A lot of the same problems that people who don't go to church or, or go to a different faith system, you know what, the problems they experience as family are a lot of the same problems that we see within the church today. This is why we need hope. This is why we need to know the transforming power of Christ isn't just for our salvation, but it is for the benefit of our homes. 
and our relationships. To me, it's extremely sad that the ratio of what we see in culture related to family addiction and brokenness and divorce and abuse and all of those things are pretty close to the same within the body of believers. Friends, this ought not be. That family for us should be a place of hope and joy and a place where people are thriving. But why is it? It's because over time, we begin to lose hope. Hope that God really has a plan for our family. Hope that maybe there is a a better future ahead of us. So this morning, my, my prayer and my trust is that this word will bring hope to our hearts. Because hope means that I truly believe the greatest days for my family are still in the future. If you want to take notes today, I would encourage you to do that, especially when we talk about things like family. On the back of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks. If you see an underlined word, that's one of those fill-in-the-blanks. And I know some of you, you want to have this done right on the back of your bulletin, so turn it over. There they are. If you want to use the Bible app to follow along with today's message, we'd encourage you to do that. You just download the YouVersion Bible app. And once you have created an account there, which is free and easy to do, then you can go to uh, more events and you can find us there under live events. You'll find Oak Creek Neighborhood Church there. Hope means that I truly believe the greatest days for my family are still in the future. Hope is that heartfelt confidence that the most joyful moments in our marriage and with our children and with our grandchildren and with our extended family are not in the rearview mirror but they are just around the corner. If your family's best and greatest days are in the past, then here's the truth. I fear for your future. Because if your family or you have nothing to look forward to when it comes to family life, I am very afraid of what that will mean for you in your future. Hope helps us to lift our eyes from the horizon and become more intentional to dream and to plan and to seize the greater days that I believe God has for you and your family, even if your family has grown up and moved out. You think God is done with your family? No. Your extended family, the greatest days for your family is still in the future, but you might not feel it right now. Maybe all you feel is the dysfunction and the anger and the hurt, and the bitterness, and it's hard for you to lift your eyes, but this is where hope starts, with meaning that I believe there's a better day ahead for my family, especially when I know that with God, all things are possible. Here's something I know, and maybe you do too. Those greatest days you had in your past, those probably didn't happen on accident. Those greatest days in the past were probably something you intentionally worked toward. You probably were attentive to what was happening in your family. You were trying to make moments matter for your family. But now you've just kind of become relaxed and you've gone into the routine. And the routine typically creates drift relationally with you and your kids, you and your spouse, you and your family. Psalm 42 verse 5 then becomes for us a psalm of hope. Maybe you need hope. Listen to what David, who needed a lot of hope, we'll talk more about David here in a moment, but found himself in very hopeless situations throughout his life as a king, as a warrior, as a father. Listen to what he says. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Maybe this is where you're at today. You can relate to these words of David. And why have you become so disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Do you believe God's presence is in your home? Do you believe that when you leave this place, God is with you wherever you go? 
Do you believe in a home full of people who really do want to follow Jesus and are authentic Christians? Don't you believe that his presence is there? Listen to what he says. I will hope in God for the help of his presence. Friends, God is in the brokenness of your home. He's in the marital strife that you feel. And because he's there, there's hope. Because his presence is there, there is a future. Psalm 71, 5, a prayer I actually pray for my own kids. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Some of you may not have come to Christ as a young person. Maybe it was later in life. But for your kids, your grandkids, wouldn't it be wonderful if in the home there was an environment where hope in God became a regular routine, in a good way, thing that they see in you and then they'd adopt for themselves, that their confidence is in God since the days of their youth. So to hope that our families can change, here's what we have to do. We must look at what steals our hope. What is robbing hope from your family? What is robbing hope from you as you think about your marriage, you think about your kids, you think about your future? What is robbing it? Because before we can talk about any of these, these home words that bring transformation, we must have a clear understanding of why our current way of doing family or doing home so often punches holes in the reservoir of our hope. What is going on that steals the hope from our homes? Isn't it often true that the problems at work or the problems at school or the problems in your neighborhood or the problems in our culture or our politics, those really aren't the things that rob hope from your home. I mean, they, they certainly can create some tension. But can I just tell you right now, those are not the things that rob hope from your home. You know what it is? It's the pain in our families. And there is no pain like family pain. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's no pain like family pain. There's nothing that hurts the most than when we're hurt by those that we love the most. Isn't that true? Family pain. It's the injury that hits the hardest, it hurts the most, and it lingers the longest. Maybe it was the prodigal child who you tried to grow up in the ways of the Lord and they decided to, to, to turn their back on you and on God, and because of that, that has hurt you. Maybe it's been infidelity in the relationship. Somebody wasn't faithful, and that caused a wedge, and that hurt you. Or maybe it was uh, death of a loved one, that just somebody close to you dies, and that hurts, and that leaves an aching in our hearts, and that causes pain. Or maybe for others, it's the child who lives home, but is just rebellious. Maybe it's the, the husband or the spouse who just doesn't care to bring health and wholeness to your relationship. We've all felt the pain of family. Because family pain attacks us at the very core of who we are, and it tempts us to forget about the goodness and the grace of God. It assaults our hope, it invades our hearts, and it causes despair. And you have your own story of family pain. I can tell you that as I look back over my life, and especially as a pastor, I've had plenty of opportunity to be hurt by people within the church. But can I tell you that those pale in comparison to the hurts I've experienced in family life with immediate and extended families? Because you all know there's no pain like family pain. When those under our own roof hurt us, this is true in our time, and it was certainly true in the times of the Old Testament. 
I talk to you about David, right? We've talked a little bit about David, read some of his psalms. David, over the course of his life, he felt a lot of pain. He felt his own family pain as his own brothers looked upon David as the youngest, and he was kind of overlooked even when the prophet Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king, and they're like, well, it's none of these guys. Is anybody left? Oh, yeah, we have this one kid named David. You know, he was like totally just forgotten by his family when the prophet of Israel was coming to their house, overlooked. He was hurt when he was brought up under the, the, the leadership of Saul. Several times Saul attempted to actually kill him, hunt him down. He was hurt. But you know what? David's greatest hurts were still ahead of him. David married multiple wives back in the day and culture when that was allowed. He had multiple wives and he had multiple sons. And there was one of his sons that I believe brought David, the greatest family hurt. His name was Absalom. Absalom was one of his sons, one of the many sons. And an event happened in Absalom's life that created hurt, that I believe out of that hurt spiraled outward, the hatred and hurt he had ultimately for his own father. See, the story begins, in fact, you can look at this in in 2 Samuel chapter 13, and it goes all the way to 18. I think it's Interesting that God would devote so much of Scripture to, for us to look into the life of David's personal family and look at what happened between he and Absalom. Because today, you know what? You're not thinking about Absalom, are you? You're not going, I've got to read the Bible about, maybe you are today because I've just said the name Absalom, but before today you're not like, I've got to learn about David and Absalom, right? You, you don't think that way. But the Bible commits chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 to the story. Why? Because I think God wants us to take a look at family life and recognize some principles we can glean from that, that family life will bring hurt. It's bound to happen. You're in family. Family pain is inevitable. And can I just tell you that if family is the biggest pain target in our hearts, then our children are the bullseye. This is what happens to David. His son Absalom becomes enraged at one of his brothers, Amnon. Amnon had raped Tamar. Tamar happened to be Absalom's sister by birth. So a stepbrother, if you want to call him that, raped his sister. And rather than bring that hatred toward God and express it in a way that's healthy, he decides he needs to have revenge. The hurt needed to be dealt with. And so Absalom asks his father, King David, for permission to throw a party. And he invites all of his siblings over to his place to have this party. His sole purpose was to kill Amnon. So as the party is going on, that's exactly what happens. Amnon dies. He's murdered. But word gets to King David that that Absalom is killing all of the king's sons. Not a true story. Terrible how gossip travels through family. You ever experienced that before as a family? Of course you have. It happened in David's home as well. David becomes enraged at what Absalom is doing. Absalom flees from the city for fear of his own life and what he had done, retribution from his father. And he lives uh, kind of as an estranged son for a time. Eventually, Absalom is brought back into Jerusalem, but David won't see him. And then ultimately, there's a, there's a moment where Absalom and David do come and, and they have some time together. But I'll tell you what happened. Something birthed in Absalom's heart, a pain he experienced in his own family that was not resolved yet and was about to get worse. 
As the story continues, Absalom decides to set up shop out by the city gates where all the business transacts, and he sees people as are coming, maybe even to see King David. He stops them and says, hey, let me help you with your problems, and he begins to win the hearts of the Israelites, and he begins to usurp his father's leadership, and people start liking him. In fact, over time, even some of David's closest advisors begin to lean toward Absalom, and come and surround him and see in Absalom a, a young leader, a young warrior. is a handsome young man and looks like a, this could be the next king. And so they begin to turn their allegiance away from David, who's currently king, to their son Absalom. The day comes when Absalom leaves Jerusalem, goes to a neighboring city, and there declares himself to be king. Once David hears what Absalom had done, he knows that Absalom will not stop there. That he will try to kill David that he will try to eliminate the threat to his solid kingdom. So Absalom does intend to kill his father. So David, his immediate family that still supports him, his people who still support him, his army that still supports them, they leave Jerusalem. So their home is busted open with anger and strife. Maybe you felt that before. The home is just erupting. And David dejectedly leaves Jerusalem with his followers, with his army, with his family. The story continues that Absalom moves into Jerusalem, takes all of David's concubines, that was women that he, you know, you get the idea. And it, and it says that, that Absalom pitched a tent for all to see, and inside of there he slept with every single one of his father's concubines, that he might become even more a dishonor to his father. So not only does he intend to murder him, but he intends to hurt him in the deepest ways that he can. Talk about rebellion. Ultimately, Absalom forms a war party to go hunt down his father to kill him. At this point, David can't sit idly by. He's outside of his city. He's kind of living in in exile with those that are around him, but he knows he has to protect his remaining family. So he creates his own army to defend himself and his family but he tells his, the, army, his, the leader of his army, do not kill my son. Do not harm the boy. Well, the story goes on that through the course of that battle, Absalom gets chased. He's a man of long hair, unlike me. Uh, and he gets his long hair stuck in a tree as he's riding under it with his horse. That's why I keep my hair shaved. I never want to get stuck in a tree. And he's hanging now from a tree by his hair. David's army finds Absalom. And contrary to what David had said, they kill Absalom. You would think the problem was over. Good riddance to Absalom. The rebellion ends. The problem is over. Somebody has to tell David what happened to Absalom. So a Cushite is sent with the news to tell David. And we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 32 and 33. It says, the king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? And the Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. And the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. What's happening? The king is grieving deeply. He is hurt, not only by the betrayal of his own son, but now by the death of this son who was an arch enemy of his. Why would David, the warrior king, be crying like a baby? Because there is no pain like family pain. That's why. 
And he's crying so loud, people hear him. And as the army that was loyal to David returns to the city, they return dejected because they hear this king wailing over the loss of his son. You can read the story for yourself. I would certainly encourage you to do it. Those we love the most are those to whom we are most vulnerable. And those that we love the most are also the ones who can hurt us the most. And that is what happened to David. And I appreciate, so appreciate the fact the Bible doesn't candy coat this family stuff. The stories like David. You can go back further into Noah's story and see how dysfunctional his family was. You can look at the, the family of Abraham and Lot and all the things that happened through there. Dysfunction that we can see, the family pain that was caused. You can fast forward to the Eli, the priest, and his sons who were totally dysfunctional and the harm that brought to the nation of Israel. Isn't it true that all throughout Scripture we can see family pain? Even Jesus experienced family pain. His own brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah, did not believe who he was. Family pain is all throughout the, the course of Scripture. So if we know it's there, if we have felt it in our hearts and in our homes, then we have to ask the question, where did it come from? I can tell you this, that all family pain is either directly or indirectly the result of sin, of our sinful nature. See, in the beginning, before sin entered the world, there was no family pain. In fact, you think about it, the first family lived in perfect harmony with each other and, and before God, but then Genesis 3 happens. Disobedience of God. Adam and Eve disobey God. They, they eat of that forbidden fruit, and we as natural and spiritual descendants are still feeling the effects and the fallout of that first family failure. Sin entered the world, and with it came family pain. And here's what happened. Look at the immediate results. Remember, Adam and Eve sinned. Look at the immediate results. There was broken fellowship. There was broken fellowship with God, and certainly, as we'll see, with each other. There was also shame. Shame on how they viewed themselves, especially their bodies. They were now naked, so they covered themselves up. And isn't it true how shame and self-preservation still wreaks havoc in our homes today? as we do things to others in protecting ourselves and keeping ourselves hidden, how we harm others in the process. There's also relational strife. What happened? They blamed each other. God confronts Adam. He says, it was the woman you put with me. He confronts the woman. It was the snake. And no, the snake is not your child. Okay, don't, don't, don't try to fill in the story. What's the point? point is, when it comes to family pain, we never want to own up to it. In fact, if you're probably sitting here today going, man, I wish so-and-so was here in my family to hear this, because they need to hear this. No, can I tell you, you need to hear this. I need to hear this, because we all play a part in the family pain that we see in our homes. Adam played a part. Eve played a part. They all had something to do with the pain that happened in that family. And then God's judgment upon that family brought pain. Pain to the roles they had. Pains to the way they did work. Pains to childbearing. All family pain from that day to this day are a result of the choice of sin. And that's what you experience in your home. Selfishness. Addiction, greed, lust, abuse, adultery, lying, dishonoring your parents. These are all products of the fall. The origin of family pain is sin. In fact, hope starts by calling my family problems what they really are. That it's sin. 
Now, I'm not saying you go to your spouse or you go to your kids and say, you're a sinner, okay? That's really not going to bring harmony and hope to your family. This is not what I'm talking about, but the reality is we have to understand, and until we do that, until we are willing to call the issues in our home what they really are, it's my sin, it's my selfishness, it's my neglect, it's my refusal to obey and live according to God's word, then we are never going to experience the transformation God wants to bring to your home. We must be willing to pull all the ugly things up onto the workbench and address them openly and say, you're right, God. It's just like you said. It's sin. This pain in my family is because I've broken your laws and I've forfeited your favor. Only then will we begin to experience God's life-changing power that he wants to bring into your home. But are you ready for some good news? God can cleanse your family's sin. The family pain that you may be feeling right now can be healed if you're willing to acknowledge its source and deal with it God's way. There's a time, in fact, the book of Isaiah shows us, Isaiah chapter 1 shows us kind of this relationship God had with Israel as though they were children. And in reality, they really were God's children. That was the relationship God the Father had with Israel. And we see in Isaiah chapter 1 how dysfunctional his children were and how dysfunctional their homes were. You can read it for yourselves. But it talks about their selfishness, their greed, their ugliness, all of these things. And, and God is bringing it up, and he is seeing in his own children the brokenness. And you would think that would lead God to a sense of despair or hopelessness. But look at what God does. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. After he dispenses what's going on in his children, he says this. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What does God put his finger on as the problem with the nation of Israel and the relationship they have with their father God? It is sin. It's the same thing causing problems in your home today. It's the same thing that drives that wedge deeper between you and the ones you love the most or the ones you love the most and you. It's sin. God is a loving and forgiving God who wants even more than you want to heal the pain of your family. You might argue, I'm a sinner, I get it. But I don't see how getting things right with God is going to necessarily make things right with my family. We're too messed up. You know, a lot of things that we would say are the problems in our family, things like a lack of communication or rebellion or finances or relational distance, these are just fruit. But there is a root issue. There is a root issue. When people talk about their families, they're talking about fruit issues. But let me tell you, the root issue was always the same. It's always sin. You might say, Kelly, in my home there's a lack of communication. Yeah, there might be, but you know what the root is? It's pride. It's not considering the needs of others. And what is that? Pride is sin. You might say, Kelly, the problem in our home is financial problems. Everything that we deal with, the stress we feel, the the hopelessness, it's all about finances. Can I tell you, finances aren't your problem. That's the fruit. The problem is envy, greed. The problem is saying, I have to have these things to feel whole and satisfied. What's the root? It's sin. And I know I might be oversimplifying this, but in reality, we tend to overcomplicate things. And God's saying, peel back the layers. It's simple. The issue is your sinfulness and your sin nature at work in your relationships. But here's the good news. 
Only God can change your families. You know, for some of you, you keep fighting over the fruit issues. And maybe you go see some help or you get a self-help book on these fruit issues or you go consult some friends and they give you some helpful advice and so you go home and you, you try to snap the top of the fruit off. But what happens? For example, when you're weeding your garden and you break off the top of the weed and leave the root in the ground, what happens? That weed comes back, and it comes back with a vengeance, doesn't it? All these things that we do, these shows we watch, the things we try to do, all we're really doing is snapping the heads off of a weed and not dealing with it. But here's the truth. God, and only God, can change our families. You know, you go, Kelly, again, that just sounds too simple. I mean, that's what my mom always used to say. You just got to get God into this. It just sounds so simple, so vague. But let me just tell you, it's true. Why? Because God is the only one who has transforming power. You might be able to moderate your behavior or bring some modification to your behavior. I get that. You might want that over your children, but until God comes and dwells in your heart and in their hearts, there can be no lasting change. Why? Because once the character and the nature of God enters the lives of those who declare he is Lord, it brings transformation here. And where is that transformation going to work itself out? In the relationships I'm closest to, in my homes, in my marriage, in my grandchildren. Psalm 127, verse 1, listen. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. You can change those to say, unless the Lord watches over your home, the parents stand watch in vain. Listen, there's a reason why Joshua challenged Israel when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He knew that God had to be the transforming factor to anything Israel was going to do through him and through his family. And the same is true for you. All your efforts, all your trying is completely in vain unless you're linked in partnership with God. But when we commit to partner with God, here's what happens. Our pride melts. Our pride melts. Because if you really are linked with God and you commit to God that only he can bring the change that you need, that means he needs to start with you. And that means you start saying things like this. It's me, God. I am the biggest problem in my family. The problem is none of us want to do that. We want to say, it's you, it's her, it's him. They're the ones. God changed them. And what do we do? We shield ourselves from any responsibility. And we got to stop that nonsense. End the pride and say, it's me. I'm the reason. James 4, 6 tells us this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Do you want God's favor in your home? It starts with humility. You want God's opposition? You keep being proud. Your home will continue to be a place of disruption, of hatred, of anger. But humility breeds hope. God also gives us a fresh start when we partner with him. 
Only God can turn the mess that you feel into a masterpiece. That's the grace of God at work. He puts us onto a new page. And how many of you wish that somewhere installed in your house there was a reset button? That every once in a while when life just gets crazy and the kids get rebellious and you and the spouse just aren't on, on the same page or when you're the grandparent and you look at your kids at, at, at holiday gatherings and it's so much dysfunction, you wish you could just go over the wall and smack that button and everything resets and all the problems are gone. I wish it was that easy. But God can give us a fresh start. You don't have to build the future of your home on your past failures. In fact, Acts 3.19 says it this way, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many of you personally and in your family say, I need some refreshing? This is how it happens. Repentance, transparency before God brings the freshness that only he can bring. And God also releases his grace. God wants to flow his grace and his favor into your family. And I love the way Paul communicates this to Timothy. It's not on the screen for you, but listen to the words. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Aren't you glad that God's grace was poured out on you abundantly when you came to that point in your life and you recognized that you were a sinner, that you were broken, you needed his favor, and so you asked him and he, and he poured that grace upon you abundantly. But here's the good news. It should bleed over if it's that abundant into having grace-filled relationships with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, with your extended family. And God desires to pour that grace upon you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says it this way, my grace is sufficient for you. Let me rephrase it. My grace is sufficient for your family, for your marriage, for power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, when a person reaches the end of his life or her life, he, he doesn't say, if I could do it all over again, I'd spend more time in my hobbies. Or if I could do it over again, I, I would make more money. I would work harder. Or if I could do it all over again, I would travel more. You know, you know, you know it's on the hearts of most people at life's end? Family. Family. I've been by the bedside of those who are dying. And I've seen them linger until they have closure with one of their family members because they cannot end this life without having closure. And many of you have laid somebody to rest and you've had regrets because you didn't or you should have or they didn't and they should have. See, the real, the real truth is when life comes to an end, what matters most is revealed, and usually what it is, is family. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it's the undone hearts of family life that haunt them even on their deathbed. See, hope is alive, friends, when you are willing to believe that the sin problems which cause our family pain are actually within the reach of a loving and forgiving God. And he wants to do that for you. What we confess, God will cleanse. And what he cleanses, he will transform. Hope is alive when we believe that the Lord desires to bring transformation to every part of our family, regardless of how dark or desperate that need might seem today. 
Again, I bring you back to Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become so disturbed within me? Hope, hope in God. If you're frustrated by unrealized dreams for your family or for your marriage or for your relationship or or maybe you have disappointments, I want you to ask God today to show you just one step. What is today's step? I know for some of you it seems like, Kelly, I don't even want to start. You don't know what's, I, I get it. What's one step you can make today toward hope and toward a brighter future for you and your family? Because I want your best days to still be in front of you. It doesn't matter if you're a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a new parent, a soon-to-be parent. It doesn't matter where you are in this journey. I want the best days for your families to still be in front of you. So what's the one step God is putting in your heart to do today? Because we have to believe the best for the future. We have to be able to say hope means the best days for my family are still ahead of us. It helps me to view the future regardless of my past regrets, disappointments, hurt. I can bring resolution to those. Maybe for some of you, your first step is bringing resolution to some past hurts. Maybe it's going and apologizing. Even though you felt sorry, you didn't communicate that to anybody, you need to go and apologize. Or maybe you need to own up to something that you know has brought pain to your family. Or maybe for some of you, you need to forgive somebody who has asked you to forgive them, but the pain of that hurt was too deep to forgive. Hurt families will continue to hurt family. But here's the good news. Hope springs in the darkest of places. And hope is what God wants to breathe into your family, into your relationships as we consider this message today. Because from this point on, hope is the foundation. If you have no hope, then I should stop preaching this series today. But if you believe by hope that God has better days for your family, then you come back next week as we talk about more words that will bring healing to your home and will build your home as only God can do. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I know that when I talk about family, this word is such an emotionally charged word. Because there are people who are hurting because of family. There are people who sit right now in the midst of brokenness in their own family and they wonder why of all days that I come today to hear a message like this. But that's the words of despair. And God, I pray in this moment that hope would spring in their hearts. That would lift their eyes above and beyond the pain and the brokenness of their family right now and say, God, I believe that with you all things are possible. And I believe that because you're involved and your presence is here to help, that the greatest days for my family are still in front of us. So I pray hope would rise in their hearts. And God, I pray for that next step, whatever it might be. It might be asking forgiveness. It might be giving, extending forgiveness. It might be having that difficult conversation that we've avoided for years. It might be addressing the elephant in the room. It might be addressing the gap that we've allowed to grow between us and our loved ones. But God, we need to be messengers of your hope 
even when our family still may think it's hopeless. But let that hope start in us. The miracle you want to do in our family will begin in us. And maybe you're here today and saying, Kelly, that's exactly what I need. I need some hope in my family today. If that's you, just raise a hand and say, Kelly, that's me. Pray with me today. I need hope in my family today. Thank you. Anybody else? I need hope. I feel a brokenness in my extended family, my immediate family. Thank you. The hands are going up. Thank you so much. We've all experienced it, friends. None of us, none of us are going to escape family pain. God, I pray right now for each one of us that God, hope would start right now even in the midst of hurt, in the midst of despair. That's why David could say, why? Why should I despair? Why should I be so disturbed within me? Hope in God. And God, I pray that would be more than just some kind of cliche saying, but God would really take place in our hearts to believe that you love our families more than we do and you want to bring restoration even more than we do because you're a God who does that. So let hope begin in our hearts and let us take that one step, the one thing we need to do today or this week that makes way to a brighter future. And I pray for them, God, they would not walk away from here unchanged. They would not walk away and do nothing with today's message, but God, they would apply this in some way. In Jesus' name, let hope begin that our homes may truly be transformed. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Oak Creek Christian Center's podcast. We are located in Albany, Oregon at 5775 Southeast Columbus Street, just south of the Mennonite Village. Please join us Sunday mornings at 10 for our weekly worship service. For more information, please visit our website at www.oakcreekcc.org.